0: Let's pray together. Father, we we love you, Lord, and we are so grateful for your grace and your kindness toward us. We're grateful, Jesus, that you came and that you tore the veil and you made a way for us. Lord, I'm so grateful for this family of faith that is gathered here this morning. And Lord, I pray you would help us to press into you. Lord, that you'd give us faith to live out what you've called us to live out That you'd give us the courage to trust deeply in you and to set aside the things of this earth and press hard toward you. So, Lord, we thank you for who you are. And, Lord, I pray now you would use me to proclaim your word. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. Happy Father's Day, dads. Uh, I got a I got a T-shirt this morning for Father's Day. It says, um, "You can't scare me." And then it says underneath it, "I uh, what's it." You can't scare me. I have five, I have four. I have four daughters. So there. That's my shirt. You can't scare me. I have four daughters. So. Um, So, happy Father's Day, dads. Um, That's, you know, I guess ties are out, T-shirts are in, so that's the new Father's Day gift. Last year, I got, like, sleeves cut off. Dad's got guns, two (laughs) pistols pointing, so. Uh, So, anyway, happy Father's Day to dads. I'm grateful for my dad and his investment in my life, and it's an incredible privilege to be a dad. And so, typically how this goes on Father's Day and in churches, is. on Mother's Day, you tell really nice things about moms, and you tell sweet stories, and you give them flowers. That's what you do. And on Father's Day, you're like, hey, Dad, you're a bunch of dirtbags. You need to straighten up, right? Get it together, man. So you, we're not going to do that So today, because uh, uh, I'm a big believer in uh, just not telling dads their dirtbags. So, um, and so happy Father's Day to, to each of you today. Um, also today... Um, you know, I, I think for me, this week has been—it's been kind of one of those weeks that, if you—if you really look at everything that's going on around us in our world, you, you kind of step back and realize how very, very broken our world is. And so, this week, um, one of the kind of uh, charter members of this congregation. Um, a bit of a father of our church, um, Clarence Blazier went to be with the Lord Monday morning, and we did his memorial services, which were an incredible celebration of a, of a great man um, who served his Lord so devoutly. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about him more in a little bit. Had that, I had another funeral, we had summer blasts going on around here, and uh, there was a, an event I spoke at on Wednesday night that was kind of just into just where people are and how they think and how they believe. And here locally, we've had more than, in a week's time, more homicides in Stark County than I can remember since I've lived here Um, locally. Nationally, we've had shootings. And you kind of, if you press in just for a second, there's a lot, there's a lot of brokenness around us in the world. And I think today as we... As we think about that, nationally and locally, kind of the brokenness that surrounds us, um, I, I think there's a deep sadness we we miss in our fast-paced living of what is actually happening around us. There's a song. Um, there's a song. Um, it's it's entitled. Uh, Uh, the news, and a guy named Jack Johnson, you may be familiar with him, you may not, his name's Jack Johnson, um, kind of an old favorite of mine, and Jack Johnson, not a Christian singer, but he sang a song, it's called The News, it's this little two-minute, 58-second song, and in the news, he said, a billion people died on the news tonight, and then he speaks of what was really sad is that no one cried at the deaths they died, could the newscasters just drop one tear for those who've died? Sometimes in a broken world, what happens is we're so used to the brokenness it doesn't quite press into us as deeply as it should. See there's a deep sadness in our world and a deep brokenness that we are surrounded by. Matthew 7:13, this will we'll be in Mark 12 today, but Matthew 7:13, the scriptures read. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, there is a way in which Jesus has asked us to walk down. And I hope and today, in light of kind of all of it, that, that God might help us to see the reality of what our world is and choose something bigger and better and more beautiful, something that in the brokenness that he might use us, me, you, to step in and be light that's shining into the darkness of our world in the places where we live, in our faith community right here, in our neighborhoods, in the places we play, and all the crevices of our life, that he might use us as we go into it, that he might give us clarity so that us, the men and women gathered here today, might have biblical clarity, that we might not miss the narrow gate. There's a Another singer, um, you're going to get some song references today. There's another singer, his name is James Blunt, and I don't know if you're familiar with James Blunt, um, but James Blunt, a um, little fact that you didn't know about him, um, he's, he prevented World War III from happening. Um, he, was, uh, he was an officer with, uh, w- in, with the UK Army. They, it was early, <clears throat> early 2000s, and he was ordered to attack the Russians. And he denied the order. You can look it up on Wikipedia, it's true. He denied the order and didn't go on, which literally could have been the beginning of World War III. But in, <clears throat> when he served, he went into a, a, a nation who had been kind of torn by war. And he wrote a song that was about his time in that country. And the song's title is No Bravery. And the lyrics of it are... Pretty profound in just what he saw when he was there. And the kind of main line is, there's no bravery in their eyes anymore, only sadness. In the midst of the sadness of our world, I believe what our God is calling us to is not to look around in sadness but to become even more and more brave, to step into our world with courage and to be salt and light within it. And I don't believe there's been a day ever since I've been alive, which isn't as long as some of you, which you have been alive for a very long time. But, but in that, in, in my life, I don't know of another time where it, the church is, needs to be the church and the Christian army needs to rise up and be the army in which we were meant to be In a world that is very, very broken around us. So, may God give us today biblical clarity that we might see God for who He really is, that He might grow us in our understanding of Him and His nature and His calling upon our life, and that we might embrace an action oriented faith as we go about our lives. Let's read today Mark 12. Um, We're going to be in Mark 12, 18 through 34. Mark 12, 18 through 34. And Jesus is going to deal with two kind of kind of pre- this is the last week of Jesus' life. Um, we're coming kind of midweek and there's these questions that are going to be asked him. We kind of titled this section Final Questions. And these are the final questions that the scribes and the Sadducees in this text today. So the scribes, Sadducees, Sad- whoa, I just mixed all those up. The Fadducees? I don't even know what that is. Uh, so the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're, they're going to come at Jesus with questions. And so today we're going to first see a Sadducee come at him, and then we'll see a scribe come at Jesus with a question. Let's read together, Mark twelve eighteen. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife shall will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Now this is like really peculiar. We're gonna dig into this in a minute. It's really peculiar because... It says that the Sadducees ask him about a resurrection, and they don't believe in the resurrection. So that's a bit peculiar if you're with me there. So they're trying to trap Jesus in something they don't believe. Um, and then they're going to quote, and this poor woman, man, seven brothers, that would be so painful. Like, there's one really weird brother, right? Like, she had to marry. That would be, I mean, I know my brothers, and oh, Steve, that would be terrible, right? <laughs> Deb, that never would happen. So, uh, the worst. And so I hope Steve listens to this on Monday. So so the text continues, 24. And Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, if you're going to get an answer from Jesus, that's not the one you want, right? You are wrong because you know neither the the, the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor give or given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, "I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob." He is not a god of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing he answered them well, asked him, "Which commandment is the most important of all?" And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, and this is from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, and your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So in this text, there's kind of two main things. We're going to look first at the the Sadducee, and then we'll look at the scribe. So we'll look at the Sadducee, and then we'll look at the scribe. And the first thing that we see, if you're following with me on the back of your bulletin, is a call to obedience and understanding. A call to obedience and understanding. So it says in a And Sadducees came to him. So the Sadducees were maybe just kind of some words around them. They were liberal aristocrats and they were in this way, shape shifters. And so when Rome came in, they loved them, right? Because they wanted to buddy up to the people that could keep them in their aristocracy and kind of in their, their high-browed selves. And so they would just kind of shape over to whoever they wanted to. Now, in some ways, they were fundamental in their beliefs, and so they imposed their belief on others, but tended to lean liberal in their stances, whether governmentally or um, kind of away from their values. Now, it says in the text that they say there is no resurrection. We don't know a ton about the Sadducees. There's some things written about them. We know they basically disappear in 70. Um, and so in this, we kind of know some things about them, and those are the things we know. And They say that there is no resurrection, and what they're going to quote is Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, and it's called the rate Law. And the law provided that if a man died without a male heir... His brother was to marry his wife and impregnate her so that, his, so that his brother's name might be preserved and his property kept within the tribe and family. And so in this, this, this Levirate law was, um, the purpose was to keep a family from dying out, the name continuing on, to keep a family wealth intact. Um, it, it was meant, in many ways, this law, for their good and their honor and kind of a side of it, it was also there to protect the woman, because oftentimes when a woman would die, don't impose that upon our culture, but on their culture, there was very little work and there was very little help, and oftentimes in po- poverty and homelessness would have been her plight in life because of how the, the culture would have held her down. And so this is a way to kind of keep protection around her life. So the question, right, is the verse, verse 23, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife shall she be? For the seven had her as wife. Now, get, this is hypothetical. And so this is one of these hypothetical things that didn't happen. But what if it did happen? And the end of the law came to be what would, what would happen in the resurrection. Um, whose wife would she be? So the response to their biblical usage is what he's... So he's not even going to answer their question initially. He's going to answer their, the issue they have with kind of how they use the Bible. He said, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you're wrong? So great answer. he doesn't even start out like, you're, like you know, let me kind of walk you gently through this. He's like, let me tell you why you're wrong. I've actually employed this in my marriage, like when Deb and I have a conversation... <laughs> I always say, well, oh, that's interesting. Let me tell you why you're wrong, right? Um, don't do it. It's bad. I, I realize that, like, be like Jesus except in that situation, right? He's God, right? He can do whatever he wants, right? He's kind of all-knowing. So, so, yeah, don't take advice from me there. So it says, this is the reason I know you're wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. What, what an incredible offensive and hard thing to say. I mean, can you imagine receiving that from Jesus? The reason you don't have a clue is because you don't know the word of God, nor do you know the power of God, and you are far off, and you've missed it because of these two things. I mean, this was this was an in-your-face, hard thing to hear. And so, just so you know, if you only hear preachers that like give you happy, happy, happy messages. They're not really preaching the Bible because there's some really hard things that Jesus says. This is one of those really hard things is you don't know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. So in this, then he responds, then he answers their question about resurrection. It says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So reality is, this Debbie Johnson and I, we will not be married in heaven. That's not how this goes. And, you know, I could go, oh, I'm so sad. I love her so much. I could write a card about it. I could do all this. But here's the deal. I'm good with that. And the reason I'm good with that is heaven's gonna be amazing. And it's gonna be Wonderful and I'm going to be free from all the relational things of this earth, and I'm going to be free, and I'm going to be more in love with Debbie and more in love with you and more in love with my brothers and sisters and more at peace than I've ever been. Heaven is a place where relationally we will be moved back into the attendant ways of God, and we will all live peacefully with one another. Now, I believe we'll know each other. I believe that if we didn't, then you couldn't identify Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. I mean, we're going to have identities, and we're going to have... We're going to have like, the realities of our soul and the wholeness of ourself in heaven. We'll have a bodily resurrection. I believe all that stuff's going to happen. But in that, it says in this text, we won't marry in heaven. So many, many kind of false religions like, put that on there because I think it eases their conscience or what they want on earth. But the scriptures say that's not, not so. And it's pretty face value. Second, and he says, as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses, which is the book of Exodus, and the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Jacob, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So in this, let me kind of help, help us get what he's getting at here. So on, on Wednesday, we did a funeral service, a memorial service, a celebration service for my friend, many of your friend, Clarence Blazier. And when we did Clarence's service, someone got up and spoke. And they quoted D.L. Moody. And I want to read that quote to you because I think it helps us today. It said this. So so D.L. Moody says, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all out of this old clay tenement and into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837, right? I was born of the flesh in 1837, and I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. And then she went on to say, and so my good friend Clarence would say this to you today. Don't you sit around here and cry saying that Clarence Blazer is dead. Clarence Blazer isn't dead. Clarence Blazer is alive today more than he's ever been alive. See, there's a truth in us that there's a resurrection that will happen in our flesh because the Lord Jesus himself came, walked, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried in a tomb, was there for three days. I know this isn't Easter, but we still can get excited about it, church. It's kind of the whole thing. And so three days later, what did he do? He got up and he walked out of that grave and he defeated sin, hell, and death. And he did it for me and he did it for you. And one day I'm going to rise up myself when I die and I'm going to rise up and I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been because I'm not going to have this stupid flesh to deal with anymore in my life. There's a resurrection that is coming our way. See, in that resurrection, I don't know if it excites you, but it does me because my buddy Clarence is alive today, right? Betty Johnston, my Grammy. She's walking around. She was singing "I'll Fly Away" when she died, and she is, she flown she she flew away, and she is at peace with God. My brother Mark, he's up walking around more alive today than ever. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Paul—I mean, they are, they are alive and they are risen and they are resurrected. Now, now, what the Apostle Paul does with this? It's not just this like truth, oh man, when I die, I'm going to be alive. What he says is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, meaning that I, because nothing can touch me on this earth, because I'm going to be more alive there than ever, I'm going to live my life so hard for him on earth, letting loose of the things, letting loose of the things of this world, not letting them hold me down because one day I'm going to be free from all the stuff. And so here's the deal, church, we don't have anything to lose, We can move on and move forward because we have hope of an eternal glory that is is beyond comparison to anything else. 2 Corinthians 5.18. So in this, what we see, this like deeper truth is that there is a resurrection. He is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. See, what the Sadducees were doing is they were kind of engaging in these heartless, mind-bending puzzles. And that's how they were dealing with the scriptures. They were playing maybe like spiritual sudoku. It was this way to just kind of think through, and they enjoyed it. They enjoyed the deeper, deeper things. It reminds me of seminary sitting around the lunch table right? The pointless conversations that by my second year, I didn't eat lunch at seminary anymore because I didn't want to have dumb conversations that didn't matter about who was going to be Persia in the end times. I don't know, and no one does. I think it's Russia. But anyway, (laughs) it, it doesn't matter, right? Like, it doesn't matter. And this was their whole faith, and everything was wrapped up in this. See, 2 Timothy 3.16 says there's a better way to deal with the scriptures. And they didn't see the scriptures like 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all scripture is breathed out by God. Literally, the scripture isn't just this kind of dead thing, but this is living and it's active. It's, 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 it's the breath of God to us. Perfect, infallible, no errors within it. It's, it's without error and it, it is Perfect. And they didn't see it as this, but they saw it as some way to kind of up the other one in interpretation. But that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is profitable for teaching and that it sets a standard in which we live our lives by. It's for reproof that when we move from that standard, we get corrected saying you've, you've diverted, you've missed the mark, you've turned. You've sinned from that which God intended. And now what he's asking us to do is not, not just to correct us, but now, not, not just to reproof me, but to correct me, change my course and direction back toward you. And now train me in righteousness. Help me to live in these ways again. And the word of God does that over and over and over and over in a believer's life. See, they saw, and oftentimes for us, when we get in the place of the Sadducees, we see the, the word of God is something that is, Like this drudgery that we step into versus something in which we are devoted to with joy. Donald Whitney said this about kind of spiritual discipline and the word. He said, discipline without direction is drudgery. So they had no direction to go with the word of God. They had no mission. They had no movement. It was just something stagnant in their hearts and lives. And oftentimes with us, when the word of God is just something stagnant in our lives, opening the book and putting our nose in, it just feels like drudgery because there's no motion, there's no movement. See, I think there's three spaces where we, we let the word of God be revealed to us, not just to interpret it and argue about it, but we let it speak into us by seeing it as it is and allowing it to press into our lives. And we do it in three ways. We let it press into our lives, one publicly, so congratulations, like well done, you're here, right? The, the public preaching of God's word, I believe the local church is a place where you come and you commit yourself to a community of people and you sit underneath biblical teaching, I've been privileged in my life to sit under, in, underneath incredible people who preach and exposit God's word, and I have learned, and I've repented, and I've done all kinds of things underneath that teaching. And so when we come, there's this platform in which the preaching of God's word goes out, and it helps us come underneath his authority. And so that's one space in which God has called us all to, but not just publicly, but privately that I open up God's word at home in the closet or in the space that I have in my life where I can be alone with him. And I, before I get into it, I say, God, reveal yourself to me. Can like this end of Psalm 139, reveal to me anything that in my life that's not in line with you and lead me in your way everlasting. And we open up his word and we put our nose in it and we, we seek him that he might reveal truth to us and we might live in his ways and, and that we might turn from the things that don't honor him and he might lead us and guide us in life, privately pouring into God's word that we might understand him more and more deeply. And then third, not just publicly and privately, but in community. That I desperately need people in my life, Christian brothers and sisters who speak truth into my life. I don't know, you guys all know my blind spots. You're like, oh yeah, Ryan's totally messed up with this or that, right? I don't know, I'm up front all the time. But I need someone watching me parent, being a husband, living in my community, because I want to honor my wife well. I want to be a good dad the experiment of the Johnston four girls will know more in 18 years, right? I don't know what that's going to be like. But it sure would be helpful for when if someone that saw me kind of moving to this place of anger and parenting could say, hey, and when I saw you like reprimand Kinsley the other day, like I think you did that out of anger, not out of love for her to correct her where she needed to be and like, I know you want to honor Jesus in your parenting, Ryan. Like, could I help you? You know, that's a little bit of a better conversation than, hey, dude, you're a bad dad. You need to stop that, right? But I need community of people with a common core commitment to, and that's what we do as a church. We call each other to that. So we do that in community, and, and we sit under teaching in community too, where we sit around ABFs and living rooms and coffee shops and other places where we, we talk about the word of God with our brothers and sisters in Christ for the point of, of understanding who God is, that we might not ever have said to us what he said to them, is the reason you're wrong is because you, neither, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And I think these two are in tandem. When we know the scriptures, we clearly know his power. I know for me, when hardship and heartache comes, if I have a God who can split a sea, I have a God who will be there for me at the point of my need and the instant I need him, right? When we know and understand who he is, we know his power, we know his word, and we can live that out effectively in our life. So second, so a call to obedience and understanding. We take action upon his word and publicly, privately, in community. Second, we see a call to obedience and action. A call to obedience and action. So there was a scribe, the scribe had kind of been watching and listening, and, and, and one of the scribes says in verse 28, came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him. And so he, he was sitting there, and he goes, hey, Jesus, like, that was really good. Like, I'm going to press into this a little bit more. And so the scribe, he comes up, and the scribe probably knew like the content of the law more than anyone in the Bible. He was an expert in it. And he came up, and he says, question, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, and here he's going to quote Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, and this is Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so this is what we call the great commandment, and it's two-parted. Love God, love God completely, and love others compassionately would be a way to summarize that. And so, so in this, this is the great commandment. And he's again quoting Deuteronomy six, Leviticus nineteen. But but what was earth shattering, and what this guy knew is that Jesus just summarized the ten commandments. And so, in the ten commandments, what do we have? And so, the first four commandments are: You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and you shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. I'm doing everything I can not to do, like, what I remembered, like, watch your words, like, go to church, right? Like, that's, anyway, never mind. So it's a little into my own head. And so so remember the Sabbath. And so the first four commandments are all about loving God completely, loving him, loving him with all that you are. And then the next six, Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet. And so when Jesus says these two commands, what he does is he envelops the Ten Commandments. And he says, in these, like these two commands summise the heart, the essence of what I want you to do and who I want you to be. It was a call of, to obedience and action with their life. And so kind of, again, the the summary of that was love God, love others, and love them as yourself, which was this astonishing claim because those that were listening to it would have said, heard this, love the Gentiles. And to them, that that would have been astonishing because they didn't want to love the people. And so this call to us is, there's no race, creed, or color. It says love people, everybody, whether they're next door to you on another continent, see this world as though everyone is your neighbor. So this is this greater command of Jesus. So when the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than a whole burnt offerings or sacrifices. So he's going to affirm, the scribe, that the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and all the rituals, that what Jesus says is this, this is more valuable. This is what God desires. This is what he wants. He wants our heart and he wants our life. And so if you've ever believed That the Old Testament, that that the people who did rituals without hearts were accepted by God, that is not true. It has never been true. And we have always been saved by faith through grace. We are accredited our righteousness by our faith. And so in this, what he's saying is that the scribe agrees with Jesus. And he says that what you're saying is true. This is the essence of the teachings of, of the Lord, of the word. And then when Jesus saw, he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. See, this scribe, he saw the law as something spiritual, not as something that was simply just external obligations in which he needed to achieve but see, the issue with him is, and you know, we don't know. I, I'd like to think that Jesus is going to be crucified on Friday, rise from the dead on Sunday. He's going to teach for 40 days. He's going to ascend to heaven. He's going to commission the he's commission the disciples to ascend to heaven. They're going to wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come on them. They're going to preach the gospel. Not maybe this scribe was standing there when Peter. What am I talking about? When Peter preached. When Peter preached that great first gospel message after, after the ascension of Jesus, and maybe he was one of the 3,000 that were baptized that day because he was close here, but maybe he came then. I don't know. That's maybe one of those seminary discussion questions, right? Again, it doesn't matter, but maybe. But see, in this text, the issue with this guy, where he is, you are close, See, close isn't close enough. And he hadn't received. His belief had not moved to action. He was, you know, here's a reference all of you might know. He was knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, right? He was close, but not there. Paul Tripp says, just because I know a thing does not mean I am a thing. I could... I could write a 14-point sermon on what it means to be a good husband. Just because I know how to be a good husband, if I don't do those things, it does not mean that I am a good husband. Just because I know a thing does not mean I am a thing. See, this scribe knew a thing, but he was close, but he was not a thing. He was not a redeemed man in this text. Because I think many of the people in that time, they saw themselves as spectators having conversations rather than as players in this grand, massive thing of redemption that Jesus is doing. See, every one of us in this room, none of us have been called to be spectators. We've all been called to be players in this great work of redemption and this great commission and this great commandment that Jesus has given. No one is excused from loving God with everything they are, loving their neighbor as theirself, going and making disciples. We are all players in this great thing called the redemptive work and the redemptive plan and the salvation story of our Lord in this world. And the question for us is, will we kind of just choose, as they did, to press it aside and say, I'm going to be a spectator, I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to kind of play spiritual sudoku with my life, or I'm going to go in and I'm going to embrace an action-oriented faith where I have a real Savior who's really alive, and I'm going to serve Him, and I'm going to live for Him till the day I die, and that day I die, I will be more alive than ever because He will resurrect me, and I will never die again. See, I think for us to take action on this is we need to set plans in our lives to understand God's word. Even in this morning, if you're not committing yourself to like publicly understanding more of, about God when you come to these spaces or others, where you hear God's word proclaimed, letting it sink deeply into you. I know that by three o'clock, many of you won't remember what I said because there are people very close to me that sometimes that don't either, Right? But that's why we put notes in the bulletin and on the back. And you don't, don't feel guilty if you're not doing this. But we want you to remember it because we want you to understand and know God's word that you might, might be able to look at it again, Let's sink deep in our hearts. Type in Google, Biblical Literacy in North America. Just type it in Google. And I'm not even going to go and making us feel bad today. But it is appalling. It's, it's appalling how little we actually know about the scriptures. And this charge that Jesus said, I'll be honest with you, it is a fearful thing for my Lord to say me. You know neither the scriptures nor my power. We need to set a plan, action to understand God's word. We need to commit our life to a life of obedience that invites others in to help us obey him in what we do. There's an old spiritual, I, I grew up singing it. Um, it was a song that was endearing to my heart and it went kind of like this. He goes, it's gonna rain, it's gonna rain, oh you better get ready and better send mind. For God your Noah, the rainbow sign. It won't be water, but fire next time. And then he goes, It's gonna rain, it's gonna rain, oh you better get ready. That was a song. I'm terrible, it's good. It was a song I remember. Growing up. And there is a reality. It's gonna rain. And there's a day coming. See, with Noah, if you were in the ark, you're good. You are safe from the impending death. You know, the story of Noah's ark isn't like this quaint, like nursery, like room kind of theme. It's really the most horrific story. In all of scripture, everyone was wiped off this earth because of their wickedness and their rebellion against God. Jesus himself says that he himself is the ark. That only if you're in him will you, a- will you be able, right, to have eternity with the Father forever. See, ladies and gentlemen today, men and women, children, it's gonna rain. It's gonna rain. But it won't be water, but fire next time. So for us today, in light of what Jesus has said, may we never find ourselves playing games like the Sadducees, seeing God's word as some external argument and faith, some high-prow position. See, there is a day coming where those who are in Christ Jesus will be resurrected, and he is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Might we pursue understanding of God's word and find joy and devotion to the one who brought us life through the death of his son? And second, might we move forward in an action-oriented faith, Loving God completely, loving others sacrificially, not coming close to the kingdom, but embracing it fully with our lives. Letting the spiritual matters and spiritual realities of this world move us to be compassionate in our world, evangelists to those outside of the faith, outside of Christ, and disciple people to and in the faith. Because it's going to rain and we will answer are you ready let's pray father we are we are excessively grateful today that you sent your son jesus into this world so that we might have life Through his sacrificial death on the cross. Lord, that we might be resurrected because you, Jesus, rose. Jesus, we believe that we are all players in this great redemptive work of yours in this world. We believe that you're seated on high. We believe that you've indwelt us with your Spirit. We believe that you're moving and working. So, Lord, help us to press in to know and understand the depths of your word. Help us not play games. Lord, help us not only know your word, but act upon it. Obey it in all that we do. Lord, we recognize that it is gonna rain. And Lord, I just pray and ask for those who are not ready, who've never committed their life to you today. Would you give them the strength to repent of their sins this morning and turn in faith to you, Jesus? those who've believed would help us to grow in our understanding, to take action upon what you've said, to live faithfully for you. Help us respond well as we sing, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, and as we stand, these altars are open for you to come and pray, and I'm down here. If you want to talk to someone, Let's sing and let's respond well to what the Lord has said today.